Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zararis, and I hope everybody enjoyed yesterday's Divisional Round recap episode. Really got to go in a little bit deeper, got, went through the game notes like I was covering the game, just some things that stood out, some interesting storylines. We have a really fun week of content on the show. Got a guest today, a guest tomorrow. Then we get to do Henrik Lundqvist retirement stuff. We get to do the conference championship previews. It's a great week to be a content creator in the sports world, or if you're like me who just can't ever seem to not want to talk about this stuff. There's a lot to talk about, and this show is better for it. So, today's show, going to be talking about the Carolina Hurricanes emerging from a 10-year hiatus from postseason play. As soon once Ron Brindamore became the head coach back in 2018-2019, they have hovered around. They've been the young, plucky, exciting team in the playoffs three years in a row now. Now the expectations are starting to build. You have strong regular seasons. You continually make the postseason. You win around here or there. You make roster additions based on what you've learned about your team in the postseason. And you get to cross over from that nice young story to contender. And where we are now, the Hurricanes are a legitimate contender. Today's show, I am joined by Andrew Schnitker of the Wilson Times in North Carolina. Also does some work for Canes Country, writing about the Carolina Hurricanes. But before I get to the conversation with Andrew, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. Number one. Subscribe to the show, whatever podcasting platform you like to use, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, we're there. If it's a podcasting platform, it's there. If it's not on a platform you want to use, let me know. I can get it up on pretty much any site where it's not a hosting site. So if you're a Audio Boom guy, I'm sorry, but Audio Boom is a separate web hosting service from SoundCloud. SoundCloud is the web hosting service of this podcast. I put it up there. Then I get the RSS feed from SoundCloud. I get to use that on all the other ones, and it goes automatically to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. After you've subscribed, please leave a review, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Those are the two platforms you can leave a review. Spotify, you have to listen to a few episodes before you're able to leave a review, but please leave a five-star review. That helps. Apple Podcasts, go to the show's page, scroll past the recent episodes, there's going to be five clear purple stars. Hit the one furthest to the right. That's a five-star review. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says write a review. Please hit that. Leave a few words. Support your content creators, folks. A lot of us are grinding out here to give you enjoyable and informative content. It doesn't take you a lot of time, and it helps us out a lot. Okay. I will see you guys on the other side of the drop for my conversation with Andrew. that i welcome on andrew schnitker who does a little bit of hurricanes work for canes country and is a sports writer for the wilson times how are we doing andrew doing good nick thanks for having me on i appreciate it hey i i like to do this at about the midway point of the hockey season where i kind of start diving into each team a little bit more individually to get a good idea of where everybody's at by the time the playoffs come around so i'm not really surprised with what happens and with where carolina's sitting right now i felt it appropriate to start here naturally 
they're an interesting team. I have been waiting for them to make this jump for a few years now. They've always had the minor problems for a while it was goaltending, and then last year Nadelkovic kind of solved that problem. They went in another direction this offseason, but how's it feel to be a fan of a Canes team that's like legitimately amongst the contenders right now because that's where they're sitting. They're in top five odds to win the Stanley Cup right now. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, you know, it, it's there's still, you know, they've been good for a while now. They've been to the playoffs three years in a row. They're this good this year. So it's the novelty is mostly gone, but there's still moment because I became a Hurricanes fan, really started watching them hardcore during the 2009 playoffs so then after that comes the 10-year playoff drought so every every now and then I'm still thinking about like man I can remember from like back to when I just first started as a fan to when I was writing about them and covering them um them just being bad or or worse what's the worst thing you can be in the NHL which they were for years is mediocre um and just just I just remember thinking like are they ever going to get back to the playoffs? Like, am I ever going to, like, there's a point, you know, over 10 years where you're like, am I ever going to see that again? And then you had that, um, you know, that 18, 19 season when Rod Brindamore first took over and, you know, got things turned around and that euphoric run to the Eastern conference final um, that, um, you know, kind of set them on the path they are today. But yeah, every, every now and then, you know, when we're talking about the hurricanes is like, a cup contender or even like a president's trophy contender or as one of the top teams in the league. I'm like, man, there was a time I never thought I'd see anything close to this. It's crazy how much a coach can change an outlook. And then you draft highly or in the middle and you hit on a few of your guys and it can turn around really quickly, which has been exciting. The Canes are a very, they're an easy team to watch. Even for somebody who's a casual hockey fan, it's easy for them to understand why the Canes are good because they're so fast. They're so aggressive. It seems they win every 50-50 puck, which is something I don't think my team has ever been good at. So to see Carolina do it so well and so efficiently and repeatedly over a multi-year period of time goes to show you just how much good coaching can make. And it's weird because we do this this carousel in the NHL where there's 38 guys for 32 jobs now. And every now and then you get one a person who gets a tr- chance for the first time like Brenda Moore did. And dramatic change, dramatic change. That last year under Bill, what was it, Bill Peters before Rod got there, they were pretty meh. They were, I think, fifth in the Metro that year. And eh. and then Rod comes in. I mean, it helps when you have guys like Aho and Svechnikov kind of burst onto the scene as your exciting young guys. But it's hard to understate how important Brindamore has been to the Kane's success during this three. Now, this is year four currently of his tenure there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he completely changed the culture. And it's funny, too, because at the time that he was hired, there was a lot of skepticism, a lot of, all right, what are they what are they doing here? Like this guy's never been a head coach at any level. You're just you're making another franchise icon um, into a leadership position after, by the way, you just fired Ron Francis as your general manager that same offseason. But I think everything that made Brenda Moore great as a player, and it's fu- it's funny as we do. I guess I saw on Twitter this morning. Yes, I guess yesterday was the anniversary of the Hurricanes making the trade with the Flyers to bring Rod Brenda Moore to Carolina. Um, 
uh, easily probably the most impactful trade in franchise history. Um, but I think everything that made him great as a player and as a leader, you know, the, obviously their captain and one of their top players when they won the Stanley Cup in 2006 um, has made him a great coach. You know, guys want to play for him. They yeah. want to buy in. They want to do it the right way. They want to do what he's asking them to do. And I think just that. I mean, like you said, obviously the Hurricanes also from the earlier years, you know, it helps having they also at the same time, they got an owner who's willing to spend to the cap. That kind of helps. They got a GM who wasn't afraid to make big swings. That helps. You know, you had the Dougie Hamilton trade, you know, that paid a lot of dividends for them over the last few years. But I I just think having a coach like Brendan Moore who instills that buy-in and that belief and who's really pretty much, you know, with a few exceptions, there's been a couple guys who just, you know, didn't necessarily work out. We think about guys like Eric Holler, Ryan Dezingle, yeah. but for the most part has pretty much been able to get the best out of everybody that the Hurricanes have brought in here in his tenure. So we have to start here naturally because as one of the teams in a non-traditional hockey market, that impacts the outlook of the organization, what type of team you are. And it's really remarkable how much of a following the Hurricanes have built just by being decent on Twitter for an extended period of time, being active, engaging with people, not just posting generic content, just genuinely trying to foster an engaging community where I know a lot of people in the New York area now who are Hurricanes fans, partly because of just how much of an online presence they have. It helps that the team is good now, but there are a lot of people I was friends with and know of that are Hurricanes fans that were just happy to sit there and just have the fun team. And now that you kind of cross that threshold of being the fun, exciting team to the legitimate contender, you actually have a decently sized fan base now where that's an engaging crowd during the playoffs last year that was a loud crowd that's an enthusiastic market and now that the team is actually good and successful and exciting you can build out on that and i think that's probably been the nhl's goal in some of these non-traditional markets but it's really interesting to see that it's carolina that's mastered it because they already won a cup back in what was that oh five oh six yeah so that coming back full circle it took a while to get back to being a competitive team again, but for these non-traditional markets to survive, at some point, the team actually does have to be good, which has been a problem in some of these other places like Arizona, like Florida, like Ottawa. And for Carolina to get it right twice in a time period since Florida's been good again, but they haven't really won anything yet. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. No, and it's... um. You know, it's funny. I, I mean, you even go back, you know, you talk about the playoff crowds. You even go back to 06, 09. I think yeah. it was even in the 02 playoffs when they went to the cup finals and lost. They were called the loudest house in the NHL. And I think part of that is, um, you know, the people that go to the games and the atmosphere they create. This is, um, you know, for people who don't know, North Carolina, Raleigh, the area where we are, where the Hurricanes play, this is a college basketball market, first yeah. and foremost. And I think you get kind of that college atmosphere at these big hurricanes games. I mean, you get, obviously, you know, we're famous for the tailgating uh, <laughs> that stems from college football. And then the, and you know, it's, it's awesome. It, you know, it's unique. It's fun. You've got, um, you know, all these different things the hurricanes have done to engage their fans. You've got the storm surge, you know, that keeps yeah. people in their seats after the game you've got, um, just really the way, yeah, like you mentioned, the way that they interact and engage with people and bring people in on social media. I, you know, you look at their marketing and social team, you know, guys like um, 
like Foreman and Matt Suter and Dan LaTaraca, and I'm sure I'm leaving some people out who have just done a phenomenal job. The way they just kind of capitalize on everything, like they did with yeah. the whole Don Cherry bunch of jerks thing, the way, you know, with the Esperi Kokaniemi offer sheet that's like, you know, everybody thought, oh, well, they just did the offer sheet for fan engagement. It's like, well, no, they wanted the player, but of course they're going to take the opportunity to do this other stuff you know, when it happens to be a team that offers sheeted their star player two, I think two years ago at the time. Yeah. So no, I, I think that'd be the biggest way I would describe their, their marketing is just they capitalize on things. They, they see an opportunity for engagement and they run with it and they're tremendous at it. So I got to ask, what's your hockey igniting moment? What was the moment where you're kind of like, okay, yeah, this is, this is, I'm adding this to my portfolio of sports because usually everybody starts out with the one sport they're obsessed with as a kid. And then as you get a little bit older, you start being like, okay, this sport is cool. I'll start watching this. And then slowly you turn into someone like you or me, who's watching five sports a week, not particularly caring about who's playing, but just wanting to watch. So what was your hockey moment where it was like, yeah, this is, I'm in on this now. So hockey was actually um, the first sport I really was my you you're what you're describing is absolutely right. But hockey was my number one. Um, I said I was in sixth grade. I said I mentioned that 2009 playoff run. I um you know when I was a kid we went to at least a few games a year and I'd have fun you know eat a pretzel watch the game you know but but I was never really like that into it. But I remember that. Um, my dad works worked for a hospital in Raleigh called Rex. That's a sponsor of the hurricane. So they would do like these rec, a few like Rex nights a year where they would have like discounted tickets for their employees. And we'd always go to those. One of those was a game in um, April, you know, kind of like the, in a normal schedule, which I think we're all starting to forget what that looks like. You normally have yeah. like four or five games in April to end your regular season and the hurricanes on a roll. And they were playing the, uh, the penguins at home and it was a great game. And, uh, they won it in overtime on an Anton Babchuk slap shot to clinch a playoff spot. And so that, that was just wild. That was fun. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. So like, I remember I was like, okay, like this hockey thing, this is pretty cool. So I like, I watched their last couple games. I watched all the playoff games and that, that was that being there that night and that 2009 playoff run to the Eastern conference final, where they were ironically swept by the Pittsburgh Penguins in route to their, um, Sidney Crosby's first Stanley Cup um, was kind of the that was my hockey moment. And then what was the, th the threshold for you where it was I went from being just a sports person to I want to make sports what I do for a living. What was that point for you? So when I was in um, high school, I was I was fortunate. I went to a private high school here in Raleigh. Um, actually, funny, funny enough, it was a high school that's actually quite literally across the street from PNC arena where the hurricanes play. Like literally like you go to the front, the front entrance of the arena and the front entrance of my high school are like, just like straight across from each other. But um, we actually had a uh, newspaper class at our high school. So, and I, I took that and I did the first year I did that. I did a little bit of everything. And then towards the end of the year, you know, because I was, I was a sports fan. I liked sports. I started mostly writing about sports. I was like, yeah, this is cool. Um, so I was then sports editor there for two years, and that was fun. And then when I got to college, I joined um, at NC State. I joined Technician, which is the student newspaper there, 
was a writer for a year and a half, then an assistant sports editor, then sports editor for two years. And I, I mean, I knew bef- pretty much when I went to college that this was what I wanted to do. And that just affirmed it. It was actually cool. I actually, um, because they were, you know, they play in the same, they're right there on campus and they play in the same arena as NC State's uh, men's basketball team. I actually was able to cover the Hurricanes regularly for the student newspaper when I was there and they gave us access, which was really good of them. So that was a, uh, that was part of my journey, and that was a lot of fun. What kind of fan are you? Optimist, pessimist, realist, somewhere in between those three camps? Where do you fall on the spectrum? I'd have to call myself an optimist. Um, okay. I, I, I was, for most of that playoff drought going into years, Even I, I, I'd have myself talked into, all right, Hurricanes, they're making the playoffs this year. They got these guys, you know, Eric and Jordan Stahl are going to have great years. Cam Ward's going to bounce back to his his cup winning form and uh so yeah I, I mean I would have to call myself an optimist um in terms of in general as a sports fan um for a couple of my te- at least one of my teams that we were discussing before we started recording yeah. that's a a pretty easy thing to be right now for those that don't know I'm a diehard Kansas City Chiefs fan as well but um yeah, no, I've always been an optimist as a sports fan, even when um, there were years with both the Hurricanes, with the Chiefs, with NC State, where I did not have a reason to be, but I don't know. I've just always – my thing is, like, like you know, if you go into a, a season for your favorite team and you're like, uh, we're not going to make the playoffs, we're not going to do anything, then, like, what's the point, you know? Like, you, yeah. you got to have – you got you to, gotta like, at least try to have some hope going into a season okay i got you i got you and how do you separate the fan half of your brain from the sports media person of your brain because i know a lot of us struggle with that yeah i mean for me it's never been that hard you know like i grew up an nc state and hurricanes fan those are mostly the teams i've covered um especially like, like when i was in college for um the eight months of the pandemic when i was in between uh, or more like a, actually over a year of the pandemic where I was in between newspaper jobs, writing for sites, covering them. I mean, you know, it's just like, it's the, like, if you're at a game as a fan, you cheer, you have a good time. If yeah. you're in the press box, you're working, you don't cheer, yeah. you don't, you know, you, or one thing me for the most part, like when I'm at a game, I'm trying to like write and watch the game at, at the yeah. same time. So like, you don't, you don't have time to be, but I don't know. Like I've always, it's always been, for the most part, pretty easy for me to turn it off. You know, there's been some exceptions where, like, I was like, all right, keep it together. Like, some of those Hurricanes playoff games where I was at a um, NC State men's basketball game in Chapel Hill that they won in overtime. Um, but, no, for the most part. And then, like, if I'm just watching a game on TV and I'm not there, I'm at home, then I can do whatever I want. But, um <laughs> Like now it, it's kind of in a weird spot for me because like I still kind of cover the hurricanes for Kane's country, but like I'm not site manager anymore. I've taken a significantly reduced role since I started with the Wilson Times. I still cover a little bit of NC State for them, but for the most part, like my main beats are like our high schools and our local college in Wilson. So I'm a little bit more into like a fan mode when I'm watching the hurricanes or NC state, if that makes sense, just because I don't have a lot of responsibilities in terms of covering them these days. Okay. So now we can transition the conversation a little bit more towards the hurricane specifically. 
How would you define that playoff drought? Because there was always that little bit of optimism coming into every year amongst a specific group of people, people like me, people. I always kind of, it's just like, they have too many good players for this Hurricanes team to not eventually break through. And somehow they just, whatever could go wrong for them would go wrong for them over that extended period of time. I mean, you rotate in three different coaches, you have significant talent, whether you're talking about Jeff Skinner, the stalls, they had the really good seven year for one year, just (laughs) an entire period of just missed opportunities and maybe a little bit over projection, but what are your lasting, what sticks out to you about that period of time? Yeah, it's, I think it's what you said. It's like, Anything that could go wrong would is like just so many different things that they tried. Like you mentioned the seven year, the lockout year, they were yeah. first in the Southeast division for the first part of that year. They were playing, they had that top line of Eric Stahl, Semin and Yuri Talusti that was playing awesome. And then Cam Ward got injured and they're, you know, they were, they were icing quite honestly. Um, you go back and look at like the group of defensemen that played for the hurricanes that year. Good god um it, it, it wasn't good and then yeah I mean it, it was just because it was like especially in the later years of Bill Peters you, you'd hear like man look at these possession metrics for the Hurricanes like if they could just like get league average goaltending or like a little bit better finishing they could make it um yeah. and, the, and you know they tried things like with the goaltending they brought in Eddie Lack he wasn't good yeah. They brought in Scott Darling, you know, who everyone was like, okay, like, and he was like a coveted guy that offseason. Like, okay, this is the guy, like, if you need a goalie, like, he's been great as a backup, you can give him a shot. And that worked abysmally. He was horrible. I mean, like, you probably remember it was a game against, I think, the Rangers. He gave up a goal from center ice. Like, it was, oh. Yeah, no, because – I, I was going through my I was going through the hockey DB hockey reference and everything and I, I came across Scott Darling and I was he was getting paid four and a half million dollars that year he was on the Hurricanes. Like he was actually like this is the next B goalie who's gonna get a chance to lead a tandem and there was a legitimate buzz about the Hurricanes that year. But partly because of what Darling did in Chicago before he got there as the backup on the team that won the cup with Crawford. And it just didn't work. It, it and goaltending is fickle. I think everybody who follows hockey on a deep level can understand that, aside from your two or three guys who are just the best goalies in the league every year. That middle is very big. There is a wide spectrum of how goaltending can perform. And the Canes know that way too well. Yeah. But no, and it was just, it was like every year to you'd have these, like the last couple years of the Bill Peters era, the Hurricanes would go on this run in like January where they'd be just red hot and they would actually like get into a wild card spot and you'd be like, okay, here we go. This is the year. And then like February, March, they would collapse. And it was, it was just like, but I, I think the thing for me is like during those years, we we convinced ourselves like, Oh, the hurricanes are a pretty good team. Like they have Skinner and like Victor Rask was actually decent. And like, but then like you get to where they are now where they have the talent of like a guy like Andrei Svechnikov, yeah. who they lucked into getting in the lock in the lottery, and Sebastian Aho is their number one center, and Tavo Teravainen, who they had. I mean, they had Aho and Teravainen for the last couple of years of the Peters era, but not at the level they are now. A guy like Martin Natchez, a guy, yeah, you know, had. But my point is, like, we were like, oh, the Hurricanes are are pretty good. It's like, well, like, no, they weren't. Like, they did. They didn't have the talent that you need. Like. 
you're not sitting here talking about like, oh, if we can just get, a, you know, like finish these chances that we're getting. Well, it's like, okay, if you're getting these chances, you're not finishing them. That just means the guys you have. And I mean, like they were close. Like I said, they yeah. had, you know, guys like Jeff Skinner, they had Ajo and Teravainen, but they were not like they weren't a playoff caliber team that was getting wasn't getting the breaks. They were they just weren't a playoff caliber team. I think that's clear now that you see what they have. Um, yeah. So I mean, I mean that's the thing I think that defines the playoff drought in a lot of years where they were just like not quite good enough. Like they'd have like a collection of pretty good players, but not enough high end talent. They would you know have these flashes where you're like, okay, maybe they're a playoff team, but they couldn't sustain it. Um, I mean, I, even the last year of the, uh, Kirk Muller era in 13, 14, they had some runs where you're thinking like, okay, here we go. They're going to be in. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it's just like what we thought they were, uh, like you get what I'm saying. Like yeah. now that we see how good they are, you realize like they just didn't have it in those years. Yeah. And it's hard to do that to take the fan blinders off sometimes because you don't want your team to stink. You want your team to make the playoffs and be competitive. And that's part of the problem. One of the things I was going to mention in there is how much do you think the division realignment impacted where the Carolina, where the Hurricanes were and where they could have gone? Because that old Southeast division for a while was just the Capitals and everybody else. But on occasion, you'd be able to pop through like Carolina did once, like Florida did before Ovechkin got to Washington. But now in the Metro where they're in a division with teams that you expect to be in the playoffs every year, like like Washington, like Pittsburgh, the Rangers had their run, but they've kind of had to reset. How much do you think that division realignment changed that outlook? Because as a small market team with cap limitations under that older owner, if you're in a division with only one other good team, you probably like your chances a little bit more than where you are now in the Metro, where there's five good teams out of eight every single year, pretty much. Yeah, it's kind of funny because I think definitely in the early years of the realignment, that's true. The Hurricanes would have been much better off in the old Southeast division where they would have basically just been competing with the Capitals. Now in the later, and was it that long into the realignment that the Lightning started to get good? And in fact, I think the second year of it, 14-15, yeah. was the first year they went to the Cup Final and lost to the Blackhawks. Um, so yeah, no, and I mean, you, we know, I mean, we've talked, you know, you're a Rangers guy, I'm a Hurricanes yeah. guy. The Metro's been a meat grinder for years. I mean, but what's funny is now, you look at the teams that were in the Southeast now, and I think, I think you yeah. and I had this interaction on Twitter the other day, that if, if it was the old divisional format with all things being equal and the teams being what they are right now, you look at the NHL league standings today, four of the top six teams in the league right now are the Hurricanes, Tampa Bay Lightning, Florida Panthers, and Washington Capitals. Yeah. That, that division would be absolute insanity now. Yeah. Like you'd be talking about the potential when it was just the old one through eight of like, oh my God, is like, is one division going to get half the playoff teams <laughs> in the Eastern Conference? Like if you if you think back to back how it used to be the top three, the division winners were guaranteed the top three seeds, and then it was just basically five wild cards in the conference. Um, but I mean, the Metro is still a tough place to be. I mean, you look at the Hurricanes, you look at the Rangers, the Penguins have been heating up and. You know, you can never count on a team with Crosby and Malkin. Um, it's kind of funny. I think 
The Capitals are an interesting team because they've kind of been trending downward lately. They have a lot of loser points, but um, no, I mean, obviously early on, especially the Met- the realignment I think was tough on the Hurricanes and the Metro still is a tough division to play on. But like, if you look at things today, you'd almost rather be in the Metro than you would yeah. be in that old Southeast division with those other teams. Definitely, definitely. And when would you say the approach of the organization changed? Because very clearly they put an emphasis on getting those young guys in minute crunching roles and just saying, we're going to roll with the punches and these guys have to be our guys if we're going to be competitive because of the limitations of our franchise. If we're going to be successful, we need Aho to be great. They get Teravainen and the Bickle, for, the other Bickle, because I always think of Brian Bickle first. They get the other Bickle, no, Stu Bickle first. They got Brian Bickle. I'm crossing the wires. There's too many white hockey players with the same names but they get they get all of the, they slowly but surely start identifying the types of guys they want they say we're gonna take our lumps and then when we're ready we're gonna push our chips in which they've done a few times they went out and got dougie hamilton they traded for trocheck last year they've been carefully cultivating this identity when would you say the emphasis change from this is our group if everything goes right for us we can be we can be a fringe playoff team to we're a young team, we're building, we want to get going in the right direction, and it's going to be an uphill climb, but we can get there if we do this the right way. When was that point, when would you say that point starts? What is the, is it just as simple as saying when Brindamore got there, or is it a little bit before that? Well, I think you have to look back, I mean, like, in the last couple of years, so like 12, 13, 13, 14, of the Jim Rutherford era, the Hurricanes are basically, for lack of a better term, just throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it's stuck to try to just make, you know, get into the playoffs as the number eight seed. I think when Ron Francis took over as general manager, he kind of committed to a rebuild and a youth movement. Um, And then, you know, you look at the things that happened in the years of that, like trading Eric Stahl um, to the Rangers, obviously. And then, um, but no, I mean, like when Brindamore came, I mean, they knew they were going to be built around guys like, Aho, Teravainen, Svechnikov, Slavin, Pesci. But you look at, I mean, like that first draft that under Brindamore and Waddell, they drafted Svechnikov, but that was also the draft where they traded Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin for Dougie Hamilton from Calgary. Um, And I think that was part of where the hurricane, that regime was like, look, you know, we don't want to just go into this with this same core that we just had. We, we, We have to try to make it better. And they had an opportunity to go out and get an elite player and they did it. And I think that was the bigger shift, honestly, that you saw with the Waddell and Brendan Moore regime is they're not afraid to make moves. I mean, you hear like right now, John Klingberg is on the block. The Hurricanes yeah. are a team that's continuously mentioned. You you hear the Hurricanes pretty much mentioned whenever there's a big name available. And that never used to be the case. So I think I think that's the more difficult change that I've seen with this regime of just looking to take every opportunity to make themselves better. You know, like the Trocheck deal. I remember that day on that trade deadline being like, what? Like that, because that was just completely out of left field, but it was the yeah. Hurricane saw an opportunity to get better and they took it. And so, you know, I, I think that's what would define this regime to me. It's just, if there's an opportunity to make the team better, they're going to do it. They're not afraid to make trades. They're not afraid to spend in the cap, which is a very different matter than the old regime, which I think was more of, hey, we're sticking to this core of these guys. 
this is our group. We like our group. Um, I probably just triggered a lot of Hurricanes fans by using the phrase, we like our group. But um, And we're going to sink or swim with them. Whereas now it's like they have that core group, but they're not afraid to make changes to try to get better. As you saw with uh, some of the more radical changes they made yeah. this past offseason. So in terms of uh, – you talked about it specifically, that they had really good numbers under on good possession metrics under Bill Peters, and you just kept kind of waiting for that breakthrough to happen. Is them getting into this contender status simply a matter of just getting better talent, or has the way the team plays evolved in a way that's made the possession metrics line up with the results a little bit more? Because for a number of years, they always had the strong possession numbers, and that's why people like me who were pretty strong advocates for their value always kind of assumed, okay, this will be the year they start getting bounces. So is it a, simply just marriaging better talent to a good style of play, or have they changed a little bit what they want to do? I think, I mean, I think like the style of play is always going to change at least a little bit when you get a new coach. And I think with Brendan Moore, it's even more of an up-tempo, fast-paced attacking system. You know, they like to have their, because, you know, we talk about whenever the Hurricanes go out and get a new defenseman, it's often an adjustment period because it, they ask a lot of their defensemen. They ask them to jump into the play and then get back. Um, but I, th- I mean, I think the bigger thing is just the talent upgrade. I mean, yeah. having Sebastian Ajo develop into a true number one center, having Tevo Teravainen get even better, um, getting Andre Svechnikov in the draft lottery and what he's turned into as a pure goal scorer, adding a guy like Martin Natchez. To, to their credit, that was actually the last first-round pick of the Francis regime um, to the mix, going out and getting a Vincent Trocek, having, yeah. um, having Dougie Hamilton for the past three years before this year, um, you know, a level of, I think, offensive defensemen that they had never had before. Um, I mean, when it comes down to it, like, which I think has been a theme of a lot of this conversation between the Hurricanes of yesteryear and the Hurricanes are now, you need talent. You can't just go out and try to possess your way to wins. And I I mean, you need to be good at that stuff, but you also need like. You need to be able to score too. You need guys who can finish these chances and score with this possession that you have and, and make plays and make stuff happen. You you can't just go out and try to outwork your way to, you know, 40, 45 wins and make the playoffs. It's just not going to happen. While you were talking, you just gave me a really good idea to continue this conversation because this is a problem that the Rangers are very much having right now where – they're relying on their star players to do everything and their star players play a specific way. Carolina, their entire lineup plays the same way. They are constantly trying to win the 50, 50 pucks, get it back up to the point point shot. Look for a deflection, really strong rebound team. They, I think have the second most rebound chances of any team in the league for secondary scoring opportunities. And just, you saw it on Friday, the Carolina got to every single loose puck and the Rangers just weren't. And it just goes to show that no matter how good your guys are, at some point you do need to marry a good style of hockey to having elite talent, which is part of why I think Carolina has finally broken through from the nice story to the, okay, this team is ready for the playoffs in October now, where they are now. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's right. You know, you can't, like I just said, you can't just have talent. You can't yeah. just have a system. You've got to have them both. And like, you, you, like, you know, you're mentioning, like being – a top heavy team 
doesn't work. You've got to have guys up and down the lineup who can contribute and can make plays. And I think, you know, I said this going into the year that this is potentially with the, I think especially now with the addition of Yusperi Kokaniemi and the emergence of Seth Jarvis as a rookie, um, this is probably the deepest, most talented overall forward group the Hurricanes have had since they won, since they won that Stanley cup in 2006. And maybe since then, I mean, there's, you know, you've got, like you look at even like a guy like Derek Stepan, former Ranger. Yeah. Uh, good, not what he was when he was back back when he was with the Rangers, and he was pretty consistently fifty point center, but still yeah. a really ta- I think a pretty talented offensive guy. He's got he's you know going from like fourth line to out of the lineup for the Hurricanes yeah. this year, and I I think well I, personally I think he should be in the lineup. I think he's a really good player who's brought a lot, but like that's. The kind of like you've got to have that depth and the hurricanes yeah. have that. And I think that was part of the theme of what they tried to do this off season. And part of what hurt them in the playoffs was they didn't have enough depth. If their top guys were getting shut down, whereas now, you know, playoff time will tell they, they might have that now. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at their lineup right now. I mean, we've gotten this entire conversation. We haven't mentioned Nino Niederreiter once. That's one of the, he's been a very solid addition to that team. You mentioned the emergence of Jarvis. You've got Lorenz. And then that third line of Lorenz, Stahl, and Faust, that is just, that's what you want your third down, your third down, your third line to look like. You want them to be able to win all those 50-50 pucks. You want them to be able to possess the puck and be able to influence the game in a way that most teams bottom six aren't i mean we saw everybody saw what tampa bay did the last two years with the goudreau gord coleman line and everybody's tried to make their own knockoff version of that and carolina's is pretty damn good i really like that three yeah i think they've played well i think the thing that's unfortunate you know you've probably seen it as a joke among like hurricane folks like oh Jordan Stahl's never scoring again. Like he's had some really tough puck luck with his grade A chances this year, which has often been the case for him, except for last year when like all of a sudden everything was going in for him. But yeah, you know, that line, um, Jesper Foss has stepped up a little bit offensively from what he did last year. Steven Lorenz is a really good net front presence and really plays a good power game, kind of shielding the puck. Um, they're tremendous defensively. I mean, Jordan Stahl, I mean, even if you're not getting the offense from him, you're getting, he's driving possession. He's winning key faceoffs. He's playing against the other team's top lines and shutting them down. Um, I mean, same with Jesper Foss. He's probably one of the more, probably one of the better pure defensive wingers in the NHL, to be honest. Definitely. I mean, just with what he does. Um, so, yeah. And I mean, I, I think that was kind of one of the things that the Hurricanes looked at in terms of why they fell short against the Lightning last year um, was they just did not have the depth to keep up with them. So naturally now, since we've mentioned it a few times, we do have to talk about the decisions they made in the offseason. A little bit on the radical ends, like you mentioned, going from Dougie Hamilton. You never know what numbers are out there that are actually what was offered to whomst, but they underbid on Dougie Hamilton and they said, okay, we're not going to pay that much for a defenseman because a defenseman at the most is worth this much. And Dougie Hamilton, as good as you are, your defense is never going to be worth more than offense. So they take the cost-effective approach of getting D'Angelo on a cheaper contract. They opt to not pay Nadelkovich. They instead opt to go with a tandem. They go with people who've had good numbers, but never great numbers, injury problems with Antti Ranta, which is still the case now. But 
How would you describe the reception of those moves? Because hockey-wise is one thing, because D'Angelo is such a lightning rod because he's he's a dick. Just we can come out and say he is a dick. He one one of the people I am very good friends with. He Tony D'Angelo challenged to fight him after a game on Twitter. So I I, I feel confident in saying Tony D'Angelo is a, a difficult figure in the hockey universe. But from a hockey sense, do you understand why they made these moves and? what was the reception around them specifically on hockey not around the right the discourse yeah no i mean even on hockey like the moves were not what you know people were and myself included thought it was an incredibly risky off season and there was a good chance the hurricanes were going to take a step back i mean you look at like last year they got some of the best goaltending in the league from alex nadelkovich and peter morazic and they go to a guy in Auntie Ranta who's very talented and has had some very good numbers, but has had injury problems. And then Frederick Anderson, who's been a good goalie in the league, but has also had a couple injury plagued years. And then like the last couple of years in Toronto, his numbers just weren't good. And then you yeah. go from a guy in Dougie Hamilton, who I think is also, is a very polarizing player, but like yeah. I'm of the school of thought that Dougie Hamilton is one of the very best defensemen in the NHL. He's a true number one. You can play him in all situations. You can see that in Carolina. And they, I hesitate, like, I don't like calling Tony D'Angelo a Dougie Hamilton replacement because he is not the same kind of player as Dougie Hamilton. He is a good, and and I'll say, look, Dougie Hamilton, or Tony D'Angelo is a good, very good offensive defenseman. He's a great passer. He's got a great shot. He's great at running a power play, making plays. He is limited to to say the (laughs) least defensively i mean he's a he's a very one-dimensional player um he's a guy who i think needs to be sheltered defensively um and you saw i mean like you look at the hurricanes loss to the devils on um saturday he was in the wrong place on a lot of those devils goals again not trying to like dump on him like you know being fair i think he's done what the hurricanes have asked him to do do which is come in produce offensively run the power play but you have people in this market who's who want to make him more than that I mean you've got takes throwing out like I'd rather have him than Dougie Hamilton or he's better defensively than Dougie Hamilton and it's just like no he's not but again I think he has been if you just look at if you look objectively at what the Hurricanes brought him in and asked him to do which is I think produce offensively, run their power play, not do, you know, be that every situation guy on defense. He's done it. I mean, he's, I think, like, top six or so in the league in points among defensemen. Um, So, you know, I mean, if you just look at that move for what it is and don't try to bring in this other stuff that he is simply is not, then that move has gone I think how the hurricanes hoped. And then the goaltending it's crazy because I was like, man, like, I don't know about this. Like they went from a guy who had an incredible, because their rationale was like, we want a veteran more of a sure thing than Nadelkovic coming off this small sample size season. And it's like, okay, that's fine. But like Frederick Anderson and auntie Ranta are your sure yeah. thing when they have been decidedly not sure things in recent years. But, um, you know, Ranta hasn't played much, um, partly because of injuries and partly because Frederick Anderson has been simply phenomenal. 
Yeah. He's been yeah. one of the best goalies in the league. He's been a true number one. He's putting up elite numbers. He's making timely saves. Like, go back to that game that the Hurricanes and Rangers played on um, That one save Friday he night. had was insane. The one save where he went full spread eagle was just a flat-out robbery. That should have been in the back of the net, and he somehow pulled it out. And if you look at the situation in the game that he made that save, the Hurricanes yeah. event, that was in the third, second period in which at the end of the period, the Hurricanes eventually went up 5-1. to one. But at that point, the Hurricanes had been up 3 nothing. They had dominated the start of the game. They were cruising. The Rangers get a power play, and they do what they often do on the power play. Zibanejad and Panarin make a play, and it's in the back of the net. If he doesn't make that save right there, all of a sudden, it's a 3-2 hockey game that the Hurricanes have mostly dominated, but then the Rangers are right there in it. And you don't know what happens from there. Instead, he makes the save. They kind of settle back in, get back to their game, and put the game to bed. So, I, And I think that's what he's done a lot. Now, there's certainly been games that he's stolen this year, but even games where you look at, like, oh, they won 6-3 to three or they won 7-1, to one, like, you're not even really thinking about the goalie. Like, well, he's still making the timely saves when the game is there to be had often before the Hurricanes do what they do and blow it open. So, no, he's been – I mean, they – clearly they – they had a plan, and it, it was a risky plan, but it has panned out, and clearly Frederick Anderson has been everything the Hurricanes hoped he could be. Again, with the caveat that we're not going to get the full grade on any of these moves that the Hurricanes have made until playoff time because that is why they did what they did. It's, it wasn't to come out and try to like win 70 games in the regular season. It is to get further in the playoffs because now they've gone from that point of trying to reestablish themselves as a consistent playoff team to trying to get over the hump and compete for a Stanley Cup. What are the limitations of the team as it currently exists? Um, I think, you know, like I just talked about defensively, you, okay. I mean, you have Jacob Slavin, who's elite, yes. and you have the defensemen who have played pretty well. Um I question, you know, not having that like elite number one off. I mean, Jacob Slavin's really stepped up his game offensively and he's great offensively, but he's not offensively. He's not quite where um, Dougie Hamilton and some of these other guys are. You've got Tony D'Angelo, who is great offensively, but you cannot be having him play those kind of minutes because of his defensive limitations. So not having that you know, all situations, guy who can do it all. on, And I hesitate with that because I think Jacob Slavin can do whatever you ask him to do. But you you get what I mean. Like, you're, yeah. you're still lacking some of that, which is, I think, part of why you've seen the Hurricanes linked to a guy like John Klingberg. Um, up front, I mean, part of it is just the limitations as a matter of a question mark of, like, can they do it in the playoffs? Like, can Frederick Anderson do it? in the playoffs, he had his struggle with Toronto, you know, some of the hurricane star players like Aho and Svechnikov have fizzled out in the playoffs and these losses to teams like Boston and Tampa. Can they step up? Um, you know, maybe adding a little bit more depth up front is never a bad thing. Another top nine forward to really push you over the hump. But I mean, if you look at the hurricanes lineup right now, they're a pretty complete team one through 12 at four and one through six on the blue line with Frederick Anderson in net. Um, I mean, obviously right now, given, um, you know, Ranta's relative, you know, hasn't been healthy, hasn't played a lot. I'd be very concerned if anything happens to Frederick Anderson, but um, 
you know, no team can really have a ton of insurance for your number one goalie yeah. potentially getting hurt. So, I mean, that, that would be the biggest question marks, you know, injury insur- insurance, maybe not quite having enough um, on defense. But really, I mean, if you look at the way the Hurricanes have played this season, there's not a ton to be concerned about. Yeah. yeah. So I usually wrap up with this. What is your confidence level in your owner to give the GM whatever they need to get a good roster together? How do you feel about what Tom Dundon's done since he's come in? Because he's kind of he's kind of got a weird reputation out there right now because of some of the weird money decisions they've made on certain things. And it's complicated because they're still spending close to the cap, even though they have made cost-cutting measures at different points during his time as the owner. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing you have to look at is like you just said, you know, they've made cost cutting moves off the ice that were unpopular, like letting John Forslund go, team's longtime play by play man, um, certain other like, you know, front office and whatnot moves within the organization. But, you know, we've talked multiple times on this about the Hurricanes being a small market team. If you're a small market team, you're not going to be able to spend to the cap and pay top dollar for everything you want off the ice. Yeah. And if the Hurric, if you have to choose one, I think you choose spending to the cap and spending on that on ice product, which is something that, you know, Tom Dundon has talked about and you can't really complain about I mean, like I said, the hurricanes spend to the cap. They have been spending to the cap. He has greenlit, you know, he greenlit, they went and got Vincent Trocek. He, he let them, they, the, the reason the hurricanes have Seth Jarvis is because they traded and part of it is too with some weirdness with the lottery with what happened with like the playoff bubble and all that yeah. with the pandemic with the Leafs pick turning into the 13th pick that they used. but they got that pick from the Leafs because they traded for and bought out Patrick Marlowe. So like yeah. Tom Dundon paid six and a half million dollars for a first round pick. So you, there is nothing in my mind, you know, you could talk about the off ice stuff if you want to, but when it comes to his willingness to spend on the hurricanes on ice product, there's nothing to criticize. I mean, yeah, you could talk about, oh, they should have kept Dougie Hamilton, and I was in that boat, but it's not a matter of the Hurricanes being like, oh, we're cheap. We don't want to spend that money. It's we don't think Dougie Hamilton is a guy we want to spend that money on. They yeah. still spent to the cap. You know, you look at – I mean, look at the Yusperi Kokaniemi offers. Like, <laughs> yeah. you have to overpay to get, a, to get a guy on an offer sheet, and they had that cap – just sitting there and they were like you know what we like this player we want an upgrade up front let's go do this and they did how confident are you in your front office's ability to identify talent and put within the constraints of what you have to do to fill it out because there are a lot of teams around the league where you see the general manager making moves in the interest of self-preservation not trying to advance the team or just getting a player without really having any idea of how they're going to fit into the team how do you feel about your general manager's ability to identify talent that fits for what the Hurricanes want to do? You know, it's funny. If you'd asked me that, like, going into the offseason after the off or going into the season after the offseason that they had, I might have said that it had taken a hit because, you know, they didn't think Dougie Hamilton as a player you pay. You pay. I disagreed. Um, they made the moves they did in net. But you look at all these moves they made. I mean, going back to the start of, like, in, within their first season, trading Victor Rask one for one for Nino Niederreiter, one of the more lopsided trades in NHL history. Um, 
and what that did. You look at bringing in Vincent Trocek off a couple down years in Florida and what he has done for the Hurricanes. You look at signing Frederick Anderson to be your number yeah. one goalie after the Delkovich just had an incredible season and him coming in here and doing what he's done. So, and, and I, obviously it's more than just Waddell. I mean, you know, most people, you know, you've probably heard the name Eric Tulski, the Hurricanes yeah. analytics guy. He's very, very good at identifying guys who are a good fit for what the Hurricanes want to do and, you know, getting them in. Rod Brindamore, I think one of the things he loves about being here is he has a say in all of these personnel yeah. decisions. Um, you know, I'm sure with bringing in Frederick Anderson and Antti Ranta, I'm sure the goalie coaches had a say. So I think the Hurricanes brain trust as a whole, if you look at the results that they've gotten I, with most of the guys that they have brought in, they have done a great job. And I think you'd have to be say you'd have to be pretty confident in their ability to identify talent that fits what the Hurricanes are trying to do here. So naturally, the next line in this is how confident are you in Rod to get the most out of the roster the front office has given him? Um, you know, I talked about this at the beginning, so I guess I probably won't spend a ton of time on it again, but just, I mean, very confident. I, I mean, yeah. again, there's been a couple examples of guys who came in that they thought would be fits and just weren't. And that happens. I mean, that happens yeah. to every team, but it hasn't happened a lot with the Hurricanes. I mean, he's he's gotten the most out of a lot of guys since he's been here. I mean, he, he, I would have to say extremely confident in that. And then lastly, in this line of questioning, how confident are you in the team to perform based on the talent they have? I mean, pretty confident. You look at a guy like Andrei Svechnikov producing and playing some incredible hockey right now. Uh, Sebastian Ajo just keeps getting better and better, having one of the better seasons of his career. Jacob Slavin, and the, who I think should be in the conversation for the Norris Trophy this year. Um, like we said, it just goes up and down the lineup because of everybody buying in and playing the way that Rod Brendamore wants them to play. Um, you know, some of those other talented guys like Martin Natchez, Vincent Trocek, Nino Niederreiter. I mean, you look at this team and the season that they've had and what they've done, you have to feel confident, again, with the caveat of they have to prove it in the playoffs. Yes. That's this regular season is great. It's fun. It's nice. It's, you know, what you hopefully want to set you up well for the playoffs you know if the hurricanes looking at their situation with their games in hand can get that number one seed in the metro and possibly the eastern conference and have home ice throughout the playoffs which i mean they had it last year but um everything is going to be determined this group will ultimately be judged on what it does in the postseason but right now with based on what you've seen so far this uh, this season i think you have to feel pretty confident so naturally your expectation is conference finals, at least for this season? Yeah, I think so. I think you'd have to feel, if you assume, I mean, they might, like, as a wild card, they might play Boston in the first round, who Boston is a team who's given them problems in the playoffs yes. in years past. But I think both the Hurricanes and Boston are different this year um, in different directions. Um, but even then, say you play, like, either Boston or a Metro team, and then another Metro team in round one and two. I think the Hurricanes can beat anybody in the Metro or or this Boston team in a seven-game series. And then it's just a matter of, you know, they get to the conference final. You're probably playing one of the two Florida teams. Can you get over the hump and beat Tampa this time? Can you beat Florida? Florida, I think, 
is a team that I would not be at all surprised to see coming out of the Eastern Conference and going to the Stanley Cup final. Um, that's a team that's beaten the Hurricanes twice this year, and that is just that's a incredible team. So, um, yeah. which, I mean, how awesome for you know non traditional markets and for Southern hockey would a conference final between you know like say Carolina and Florida be? But um, yeah, I mean it, they have to at least get to the conference final. But even then, I mean like they've been to the conference final um, in the past. So you know they went there in Brenda Moore's first year. So. I'd say anything short of the conference final would definitely be a disappointment. And if they got to the conference final and lost in like four or five games to like a Tampa, again, you're probably disappointed. If they get to the conference final and they play a knockdown drag out, you know, seven game series with a team like Tampa and they just come up short, then you can probably say, Oh, well, but they've got to get there and they've got to show that they can peak can compete with these teams i mean that is i think the gist of every move that they have made is to try to get them to that point and get them over that hump all right andrew before i get you out of here i have to briefly ask how confident are you in mr patrick mahomes this sunday to get them back to the super bowl again so it's it's like it's weird (laughs) because like i don't want to sit here and be like feel like i'm overlooking the Bengals or counting out joe burrow which given his career, his postseason career, both in college and the NFL so far, I most certainly don't want to do, but it's like, I don't think it's wrong to objectively say that like the bills were the tougher team of those, like between the bills and Bengals, yeah. the bills should have been a tougher game. I, I think the chiefs and bills, most people would agree were probably the two best teams left of those eight teams that played this weekend. Um, and I think that game showed that, but I mean, yeah. like I'm confident, you know, he's, um, this is the fourth straight year hosting the AFC championship game. He's gotten it done um, to get to the Super Bowl the last two years. He was a D Ford lining up on sides um, away from doing it in his first year as a starter. So, I mean, like, I, I feel very confident, I, I would have to say. I mean, especially after the one thing I'd be worried about is like, can they reset and refocus after just an absolutely insane, like, ending like that Bills game um you know where it's like oh hey by the way still another game but I think I'm pretty confident in the leadership of a guy like Andy Reid and in Mahomes himself's leadership and guys all these veteran guys who have been there these past couple years and guys like Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones and everybody else to to go to just go out and make the plays all right, before I get you out of here, plug your work, plug your Twitter, let the people get, know about some of the stuff you work on, Andrew. Yes, I. Um, so my full-time job is for the Wilson Times, just wilsontimes.com, uh, mostly local high schools in Barton College and Wilson, a little bit of um, ACC college stuff, so like State, Duke, Carolina. Um, if you want hockey stuff, I still write stuff for Kane's Country. And um, just go to canescountry.com. You can find my stuff. You can find everybody's stuff. We have a very talented group of writers there putting out some great Hurricanes content. And you can find me on Twitter at A-S-C-H-N-I-T-T-5-3. I'm not sure why you'd want to do that, but, um, you know, if, if you do. No, I mean, I, you, you find me there. You'll find my thoughts on NC State, the Hurricanes, the Chiefs, uh, other stuff. So, If you want to check that out, go for it. Thanks for coming on, man. This was fun.
yeah this is a lot of fun thanks for having me absolutely all right we will be back tomorrow we have a florida panthers episode for you guys tomorrow i hope you guys enjoyed today's show i will see you then